You're listening to Culture Rich. Culture Rich. Welcome, I'm Christina Michelle, inviting you to join me for Culture Rich Conversations, an ongoing feature of Juno Afternoon. It's November, the year is flying by, and we are back with our hot topics in Black culture. Today, I'm sitting down with our producer, Natasha Boozer, to discuss all the hottest topics. Of course, we're talking about Jada Pinkett Smith, everything that's been going viral from her new book, and so much more. From KTOO and Juno, this is Culture Rich Conversations. Culture Rich Conversations is underwritten by Mark Stofa and Sarah Hannon, celebrating Juno's diversity of culture, language, and heritage. The Black Awareness Association would like to take a moment to recognize that Culture Rich Conversations is broadcast from Flinket Ani. We acknowledge those families who made use of this land and waterways for thousands of years and still cherish it as an important part of their way of life for today and future generations. Gunalschish, thank you. I'm Christina Michelle. Hi, Natasha. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being on air with me today. Hi, thank you for having me. So before we jump in, we have a quick announcement about something exciting that's happening with um, Culture Rich Conversations. As most of our listeners know, you can hear us most Thursdays at 3 p.m. on KTOO. And we now have a podcast available. And this is very exciting news. You can subscribe through KTOO, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and NPR. So we just wanted to take a moment to say thank you to our listeners for for listening and for supporting Culture Rich Conversations. And now you have more ways to access the show. Very exciting. Absolutely. All right. So let's jump into our hot topics. We're just going to get right into Jada Pinkett Smith. I don't know about (laughs) you, Natasha, but I have been seeing all of these memes trending on social media and I had no idea what was going on. And then I'm part of a couple of book clubs and they've been talking about this book called Worthy. And I didn't know that it was by Jada Pinkett Smith. And so now I know that the memes and the (laughs) book go together and they are all about Jada. So Okay, what's happening is that the press has been uh, promoting her new book and uh, she makes some shocking confessions about the state of her marriage to the point where many people feel she has gone too far with too much information. She is being accused of oversharing. So uh, what was your reaction to her confessing that though they are still legally married and have been since 1997, she and Will Smith have been separated since 2016? Yeah, I think I was as shocked as everyone else. They put on a great show in front of the cameras because we all thought they were the quintessential couple, right? They were hip and fun. Um, Does anyone still say hip? (laughs) Um, (laughs) We know what it means, even if we don't say it. Yes. It's fine. (laughs) 
Yes. Jada seemed to be doing great as a stepmom or bonus mom to Will's first son. Um, she really seemed to get along great with his first wife. You know, I always think back to that Oprah episode where the two of them sat down together. And I remember when Jada talked about how she would rub Will's head at night to help him wind down from the day. And I remember thinking that that was so sweet because it wasn't often back then that we would see um, Black love displayed with such tenderness and intimacy. I thought that was so powerful at the time, and I still do. Um, so to know that they had been separated for such a long time came as a complete shock to me because I really did think they were solid and had what it took to definitely go the distance in their marriage. Interesting. Well, I... I don't find it all that surprising. Um, they are both actors. I mean, Will Smith is like, he's like one of the world's greatest actors and Jada is amazing as well. And so um, I think that there are things that happen in every relationship that lead to decisions being made that maybe you don't want to share with the world. And for whatever reason, they decided to keep up the um, the facade of being the, the happily married couple. Um, and, you know, I think it's still I, I can't say that they're they're not happy. They're just not in a traditional marriage where they're um, living as husband and wife. But it doesn't mean that they're not, you know, happy as soulmates or twin flames or whatever they you know claim to be. And also in Will's book, um, I think it came out a couple of years ago and it's just called Will. And he alluded to a lot of uh, things he didn't. He didn't share on the same level as Jada at all, but he made some comments and shared some stories that, you know, made his his readers wonder about the relationship anyway. So, yeah, Definitely. I'm not I'm not shocked and I'm still happy for them. I still think that they represent something really beautiful um, that we can all aspire to as far as um, relationships and um, blended families and um, consciously uncoupling like you, you don't have to it doesn't have to be. A train wreck, you know, when a relationship ends or <laughs> or the the status changes. So that's my thought. Um, in her book, Jada talks about her relationship with Tupac, with Pac, Tupac, <laughs> Tupac Shakur, uh, the greatest. Um, she shared that he was her soulmate and that the two had even shared past lives together. Will Smith has confessed that he always felt intimidated by Tupac, so much so that he hardly ever had the courage to speak to him, even when they were in the same room together. So, Tasha, what is your takeaway from that dynamic, that shocking information? (laughs) It was shocking. I was really surprised that Will confessed so much about his feelings about Tupac, and I think um, we've always wondered what Will thought. So my first thought was how painful it must have been for Will to know that this is how his wife felt. Um, it must have been so hard for him to realize he could never live up to the legend that Tupac was and never hold a deeper place in his wife's heart. Um, I think it's heartbreaking. I can definitely um, empathize with Will. I don't know any man that could, especially a Black man, that could handle that type of a relation about his um, relationship. How could any dynamic be sustained in that way? And how can a relationship last with that kind of elephant always in the room? 
Do you think it makes a difference that he knows about it? I mean, what if he didn't know, but that's how she felt? Would it matter? I think so. I think so. I absolutely think so. Um, I, I've been married for almost 20 years. It's Christmas Eve. And (laughs) thank you. Thank you. Um, I talk about myself in that, in his shoes and try to imagine what my husband would think. And if I felt that way, I don't, (laughs) but if I had that kind of candle holding for someone else, I wouldn't want my husband to know because I think it would change the dynamic of your relationship over time. I think it would always be a cloud that hung over everything. So I think that there are some things you can keep to yourself, even from your partner, to, to keep your relationship healthy, to keep it lasting. Um, and I think in this instance, I'm not saying you should have secrets, but I am saying that there are some things that maybe it's okay to keep to yourself. Sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And um, didn't Jada have a, a whole thing with um, her son's friend or something? Like, I'm I'm not the greatest on, <laughs> on pop culture, but I know she had some type of relationship outside of her marriage um, while she was yeah. still married to, to Will, right? Yeah. yeah, she called it in her red table talk, she called it an entanglement. Yes, and entanglement. And my son... Moses came to me, he's 15. And he was like, mom, can you believe she did that with her son's friend? And I was like, no, no, I can't. That's a child. She's a full grown adult. I can't, I can't do that. After being married to a man, why, why would I want to be with someone who is friends with my child? I could never do that. I just, I don't know. I, I, I always wondered why she shared that part. (laughs) okay so after I read Will's book I had a lot of judgments about Jada and I tried not to Mm. because I really wanted to just love her as much as he clearly does um but I feel like after her book I have even more judgments and I wonder if that's the general consensus of of her readers what do you think about that I think if you look back at what happened at the Oscars and his reaction to Chris Rock, and even at that time, they were not living as a married couple. I think you can see the very real effect she has on him. And I'm not judging her, um, but I do think it's easy to see those cracks in their relationship that they tried to hold together publicly. And it breaks my heart. Because they have children, they're a family, a blended family. Um, it, it makes me sad. Yeah. Well, Will and Jada have been a part of our lives since the 90s uh, via television and movies. It feels like we know them personally to a certain extent. What do you think has been their combined cultural impact? So I thought a lot about this because it's been something people have been talking about. And I think their culture impact is to show Black culture that we don't have to have the type of careers and relationships that are that the generations before us had. You had very successful A-list actors coming together in the Black community and making it work, so it seemed. Um, I think traditionally, there's always been one person in the relationship that shines and the other stays out of the limelight and is a supportive one in the background. But in this relationship, they both shined they were both at the top of their game 
And they were raising a family at the same time. Um, in my opinion, they showed us it's possible to achieve more in our careers and in our relationships um, without having to conform to social norms to do so. Wow, that was really beautifully said. I don't even know if I can add to that. I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I guess the only thing I would add is um, that it's amazing that they also um, have children that want to be artists and want to be performing artists, actors, singers, um, rappers, dancers, all of that, and that they support them in that and also support them in in not wanting to do it as well. So I think mm -hmm. it's, yeah, there's a lot that we've gained as a culture from the couple and from the family. So mm -hmm. Tasha, do you think that Jada overshared? I'm, I'll just <laughs> get right to it. <laughs> did she overshare in her book or did she open up and be real and raw and vulnerable? And is there value to that? Yes. Yeah, so I think that she, I think she did overshare. I think that it can be, I think it could be humanizing mm -hmm. to share because um, people can relate to your flaws, right? But I also think it can be hurtful when what you're sharing is hurting other people. And so I can just think about their children and they do have children and those children didn't ask to be um, under such a huge spotlight because of what she shared. Um, I think the scrutiny that the children are, even though they're adults, they're adults, um, but I think that scrutiny was harmful for them. Um, I'm sure they would like to excuse themselves from this narrative and go on with their lives. <laughs> so I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> okay. I think that's fair. Um, yeah. I think it depends on what the, the goal is. If she or her publishers wanted a lot of attention around this book, then um, what she shared definitely helped them accomplish the goal. Um, if the goal was to be liked, maybe not so much. <laughs> so. No, no, I think she, I think if you look at say Britney Spears's book, she just sold a million copies because of everything we've seen her share. But so understand sharing, being open and raw, um, but sometimes it seems it can backfire. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's move on to Tyrese. So Tyrese is an actor, model, performing artist. Uh, his whole name is Tyrese Gibson. And Tyrese Gibson's ex-wife, Samantha Lee, has gone on the record to reveal the catalyst that led to their divorce. Most of the time, we never really hear the details behind celebrity divorces. However, Samantha opened up and gave us her truth. So she said she ultimately filed for divorce from Tyrese because she let people influence her decision to leave her marriage and that she was emotionally intoxicated when she filed. She also went on to say that she had received counsel from a supportive pro-marriage community. She would not, if she had received that counsel, she would not have ended her marriage and that she would have reconciled with Tyrese if they were both willing to work. What do you think of her reasoning for sharing the private details uh, that led to her ending her marriage? So I personally, this is my opinion. I think her reasons might be that she wants to paint a different picture than the one that exists in reality. 
when a person is so open and honest about something this private, in my experience, it's usually because they expect to gain a positive outcome from sharing so much, whether it be from the public opinion or a book deal or whatnot. There's always a hidden agenda that exists in sharing the details that no one asked to hear in the first place. (laughs) Do you think she's placing blame on others instead of taking responsibility for her decision? You know, I think, I think that she's doing both and I'll tell you why. I think by her simply saying that she would have made different decisions if she'd had more positive influences in her and in her council is very self-deprecating and saying that this is, you know, mainly her fault. But in the same stead, I also think that she is partially placing blame on others well, the truth is, at the end of the day, she made the final decision to end her marriage and her friends didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, what role do you think toxic friends, or I guess I should say to what extent do you think toxic friends can affect a relationship? Because we've all we've all been there, right? I mean, I can imagine yes. I've been a toxic friend, not intentionally, but, you know, I've probably given some advice that maybe, you know, wasn't the best for a relationship. And I, I know I've received <laughs> bad advice about my relationship. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? So I guess I have a strong opinion about this one. Um, I think toxic friends can be a red flag, Mm -hmm. actually. I would never date or marry someone if their close friends had a huge impact on the choices they made in their personal relationships, number one. And number two, I think if an intimate partner's close friends are toxic, it says a lot more about the kind of person Mm -hmm. you're dating. I definitely think it's a bad sign if someone has toxic friends, especially if that friend can influence their decisions or life decisions. So what makes them toxic versus being maybe giving bad advice? I want to back up now and say I was not a toxic (laughs) friend. (laughs) I mean, I don't think you are. (laughs) No, but I just meant that I, you know, I've I have a lot of friends and over the years, um, many of them have been married and in different types of relationships and situations and have sought advice and counsel for me. And I, I don't know that I've always given the best advice, although it was with the best intentions. So how do we know what's toxic versus, um, you know, just a, a, a caring friend's advice and opinion? I do hear that. I think a toxic friend is someone who doesn't necessarily always support relationship as a whole. And I think that you have to That's look at good. the words they're saying to you. If what they're saying adds positivity to your life in relationship, then I 100% agree. Take that advice. But if it sheds um, doubt and makes you feel bad about yourself and your mm-hmm. choice of who you love and who you want to be with, I think it might be important to take their advice with a grain of salt. Yeah. I got you. So then who should we turn to when we're having relationship or marital issues? Who's safe? So before uh, my husband and I got married, we had free marital counseling um, with our pastor who was a good friend of us. And he gave us some amazing advice that I've always, always held dear to my heart. He said that you should never um, seek advice from someone who hasn't shown success in their own personal life. So I would speak to someone who has been married for longer than me and is still very happy and successful in that relationship. I wouldn't talk to someone who doesn't really get the nuances that 
um, exist in a marriage, especially in the long-term marriage. You want someone who's been where you've been and can tell you how to walk that path. And you want to be able to believe that their advice is tried and true and that you can follow it and be successful in your own life as well. Nice. Um, when I was many, many, many moons ago, when I had premarital counseling that actually led to not getting married, uh, our mm-hmm. counselors uh, suggested that we make a list of like maybe five people, three to five people that we both agreed that we could talk to. So it helped us both to feel safe knowing that, you know, our business wasn't going to be shared with people who we didn't want to know it and didn't trust. Um, and also that's a big one. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so then it made it, it made it feel much safer, you know, when there were things that needed to be discussed and we needed to like bounce things off of each other. We, you know, found people or agreed on people who neither one of us believed to be toxic, but had the best interest at heart our best interests at heart, whether they, you know, had been together for longer than us or, or not. Um, we at least thought that they were solid and, uh, safe, responsible advice givers or sound boards at least. So. Yes. I love that you use the word safe. That's Mm -hmm. really, really important. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, if you're just tuning in, I'm Christina Michelle, and I'm here with our show's producer, Natasha Boozer. We've been discussing the hot topics around Jada Pinkett Smith's new book, as well as the controversial comments from Tyrese Gibson's ex-wife in regards to uh, their divorce and what led to it. We are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Christina Michelle. I'm here with Natasha Boozer, and we are continuing our conversation about hot topics trending in the Black culture and community. Okay, so up next, I'm so excited about this because I think it's so ridiculous, but um, there's a video that went viral recently where a woman is seen to be on a first date, and her date chooses to take her to the Cheesecake Factory. In the video, we see that she refuses to get out of the car and proceeds to go to social media to air her grievances, all the while shaming her date 
and his restaurant choice. So I have to say I was shocked and appalled when I first saw this. I mean, it's a beautiful African-American woman and she's all dressed up for her date and a a guy who's, you know, he looks handsome and well-groomed, like he's ready for this date too. And he's driving, he picked her up, he's opening doors, he's doing all the things. And um, she just goes on social media and blasts him when they get to the Cheesecake Factory. She can't believe that he had the nerve to take her to a chain restaurant for their first date. (sighs) Let's talk about it. Let's talk about (laughs) it. All right. Does it matter? And how much does it matter where your date takes you for dinner on a first date? I mean, it mattered to her because she wouldn't get out of the car. She wouldn't get out of the car. And the reason we're talking about this is because it went super uber viral. It's mm-hmm. it was all over social media. I think it even got on a couple talk shows like it. it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. So, OK, it mattered to her. Does it matter to you? I mean, I, well, you yeah. and your husband met in college. So I imagine we there weren't high expectations of fancy dinners. <laughs> Not at all. But even today it doesn't matter to me. I my husband likes to tease me that I'm a simple person. I'm not high maintenance at all, as you can see on camera. <laughs> um, I'm just happy to be the person that I love. But I try to think back and put myself in her shoes. I remember she looked beautiful, mm-hmm. but she, I just, the part that really got to me wasn't even the relationship. It was how she was shaming him on camera. And he was, he said, are you, are you filming me? He didn't even realize. And it was just, I was horrified. Um, I was horrified because at the end of the day, you should want to be with that person. I mean, he didn't take her to a random place and buy her a dollar hot dog. He did take her somewhere. Cheesecake Factory is not cheap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so he was paying a pretty penny for that date. But I think at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. I think you should be happy to be with that person if you want to be with that person. Otherwise, don't go on a date. Does it matter to you? <laughs> Does it matter to me? Oh, um, I'm going to say no. The The restaurant choice doesn't matter um, as much as the overall experience. Um, my last boyfriend, our first date was a bonfire out the road. Um, it like, and it was during COVID restaurants weren't even open. Like he's like, I'll bring dinner, you bring dessert. And we went and made a bonfire and that's what we did. And it was the best thing ever. Um, and I'd actually probably prefer something that's like kind of meaningful and feels, you know, sweet and romantic and put, you know, had a lot of thought put into it, um, over, just an expensive restaurant. Cause I'm not sure what that says exactly. I think to me, what I got from, from that, um, from that woman was that she was tying her uh, value or self-worth to, or perceived value to where this man chose to take her for dinner. Um, or maybe she felt that where he chose to take her spoke to how much he valued her. Um, and that seems to be where the pain point was, in my opinion, because otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, at the Cheesecake Factory is a lovely option. Not to mention, can we just talk about the fact that he actually had plans to take her to a nicer restaurant 
And she was an hour late getting ready. Now, she did (laughs) not divulge this herself in her um, in her viral video, but he defended himself by saying, I did have reservations for a nicer restaurant and you were an hour late. Um, when I came to pick you up and we missed our reservation and I still wanted to go out with you. And that's why we're here at the Cheesecake Factory. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's kind of like, I don't know, what can you say to that? I, I just I'm also appalled. I'm shocked and appalled. Um, and like you said, the fact that she went viral, like she was trying to shame him um, and not even with his permission, just it just always ick. It's all ick. Um, yeah. And I You know, she has a lot of supporters, too, because now apparently there is um, a list of compiled restaurants (laughs) that's trending. Um, And these restaurants are um, on the not appropriate establishments for a first date list, which I don't know. I don't know. what I don't know what to think about this. (laughs) Um, So, Natasha, what have you heard or read people saying about this viral video? So it looks like there are two camps. People are saying a lot. There's a camp where they agree with the guy and they think that she was completely out of order. She shouldn't have shamed him. She shouldn't have recorded him without his permission. She shouldn't have been late. You know, I always ascribe to if you're on time, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. If you're late, you're left. That's you how I feel. Absolutely that way. <laughs> right. I know. <laughs> I am. I am. Um, but there's other camps that agree with her. They think that the restaurant that he chose was not um, on par with the caliber that she or they themselves feel that they are. And I think they're probably a part of people who compiled that list. And it's an interesting list. <laughs> um, but people agree with her and they don't think she was wrong. And both camps feel very strongly about their opinions and positions about it. Yeah. Well, and I guess um, at the end of the day, she was kind of right in her expectation to be taken to a better place because he had planned to take her to a better place. So she wasn't wrong in wanting to eat somewhere else. Um, I think where she went wrong was, um, yeah, not valuing um, the fact that he still wanted to be with her, even though she was over an hour late for the date. So Mm-hmm. Womp, 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 womp. <laughs> well, some conspiracy theorists are saying the video isn't real and that it was fake. Was it real? Snopes.com? Okay. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I know we talked last night and last <laughs> night I was like, yeah, it was real. I found an article that said that it was real. But now today I'm hearing that they're actors mm-hmm. and that they had been putting out videos to see which one went viral. And so... I don't know. The jury's still out for me, mm-hmm. but it's not so clear for me if it's real or not. But the conversation surrounding it is real. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The way that it struck a chord uh, and, you know, lit social media on fire for a couple weeks is definitely real. So I think that's what matters the most. All right. So moving on, the viral question of would you rather have dinner with Jay-Z? Or take $500,000 in cash? What kind of question is this? (laughs) (laughs) Why was it even viral? Oh my gosh. Sometimes I just wonder about our society. Like, like why? Why do we value the things we value? 
Uh, okay. Even Jay-Z himself said he'd rather people take the money than have dinner with him. But what would you do? <laughs> so I think for me, I would take the money. I think that money is life-changing. Um, I'm sure Jay-Z is a great person to hang out with for dinner. But I think it's, I think in this economy, I think it makes more sense to have uh, secure income, a secure foundation financially. Um, and I'm sure there are many people who feel the same way at this time. If you look at gas prices, the prices of eggs, <laughs> um, it's inflation is insane. I think that uh, it definitely makes sense for me to take that much money because JC also did say whatever advice he would give you, all you could had to do was buy one of his albums mm -hmm. for like $15 and you would get the same advice he would give you in person. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I didn't know that he said that, but I actually was just thinking this while you were talking. I think that back <laughs> in the eighties, the nineties, you remember when the only thing that we knew about our favorite artists is what we read in yes. uh, like people, teen people, um, yes. essence. What's the other one? Ebony. Right. Like that's all we knew is when Jet. we got to see Jet. <laughs> that's the main one. Jet. When we got to see an article where they were quoted or when we saw mm -hmm. like a rare TV appearance and, yes. and listened to an interview. Um, what I lived for personally was the uh, information that they wrote on the inside of those um, like the tapes. Remember they had the, the inserts, jacket. the jackets. Yes. yes. And you could unfold mm -hmm. it. And there were mm -hmm. like the lyrics and then a little blurb about the artist. I was like, oh, my God, that's my best friend. That's my best friend. I know everything about them because I just read this. Now, though, <laughs> social media is is king and content is king. And we mm -hmm. know way more about the people that we um, that entertain us. Um, than mm -hmm. we ever did before. And so it's kind of like, I, I feel like that makes it lose its value. I'm not saying that a conversation or dinner with Jay-Z isn't, you know, priceless. However, I'm happy to hear that he was humble enough to say like, hey, whatever I, I have to say, I've already said it. I've already said it in my <laughs> albums. I said it in my social media. I've said it in interviews. He had a whole thing like um, on Jay Leno, sorry, with not Jay Leno with David Letterman on Netflix. Like it was a whole like coming mm -hmm. to the stage thing. Um, and he put a lot of um, information about his life and his philosophy on life and how he got to where he's gotten and all of that. And, you know, for the low, low price of whatever Netflix costs, you could get that. So why, why, are, why are we paying half a mil? Anyway, um, <laughs> Gail King and Rick Ross beg to differ um, with uh, what seems to be our shared opinion, Tasha. They say that dinner with Jay-Z holds more value than the money. Can you understand their point of view? Well, and I can't. I so, oh, consider the source. I'm sorry. It's Gail King and Rick Ross. So <laughs> we've already got half a mil. Exactly. <laughs> no, but I, I, I read an article that Rick Ross uh, interviewed that he did. And he did say back when he was first uh, starting out, he was trying to make music um, that he thought people wanted to hear. And he did have a dinner with Jay-Z and Jay-Z told him to make music that he loved. And when he made that choice, it his career skyrocketed. So I can definitely see why Rick Ross is saying what he said. Um, I just don't know that it 
applies to people today. Yeah. And maybe for the right person, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if I was an aspiring um, rapper or if I was like Rihanna or uh, like some of the other um, artists who he's mentored over the years, like um, if I had a one-on-one with Jay-Z, maybe that would parlay into, you know, millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars and not just, you know, 500,000. Mm-hmm. So I guess it depends mm-hmm. on like who you are and what your aspirations are. So, all right. In, in this economy, is it realistic to ask the average person this ridiculous question? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think so. Nope. Not for the average uh, Joe or or Joanne, I guess. No, not at all. (laughs) All right. Well, Natasha and I are here discussing a few of the hottest topics in Black culture, but we still have lots more. We're going to take another quick break. I'm Christina Michelle, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Culture Rich Conversations. I'm Christina Michelle. Before we went to break, Natasha and I were discussing the revelations from Jada Pinkett Smith's new book, as well as whether or not it's appropriate to take a first date to a chain restaurant. And there's still quite a bit more to talk about. So speaking of restaurants, there is a restaurant in Georgia that has started charging guests with children a fine of around $50 if their kids become disruptive. They're calling it a bad parenting fine. The restaurant gives all patrons a warning that is clearly displayed on their menus. It reads, adult surcharge for adults unable to parent. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. So this may seem absurd to many, but it also appears to make sense to others. What is your take? So initially, I thought it was a joke. <laughs> I didn't think it was real. Um, but after researching it further, I saw that it most certainly was not a joke. 
and what's the true reality for the people who have had to pay that surcharge. I thought it was unbelievable with the word unbelievable. Is this a chain restaurant or is this like a um, like a no, private a small, local restaurant? A small one. Okay. Yeah, it's a private local one. Hmm. Okay. So would you eat there with your kid? I don't have kids. So I, <laughs> I, I don't think the, I don't think the, I mean, the fine is a little ridiculous, but what's worse than the fine is what they're calling it. Like a bad parenting mm-hmm. fine. That's horrible. Mm-hmm. Um. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't, I probably wouldn't eat there just because they called it a bad, it's like, it's so shaming. I, I wouldn't want to support that. Um. You know, I don't know. What do you think having having kids of your own? So I got some really good advice uh, when I first had children. And they said, take your children with you wherever you go to acclimate them into your life. Don't change your life so drastically for your own children. So I've taken my kids when they were babies to restaurants, uh, small ones, big ones, loud ones, quiet ones, dark ones, um, and very bright ones. And my children are very comfortable in that environment. However, I think because of how they framed this type of surcharge, it's, it's, it's very rude and unkind. Um, so I wouldn't want to uh, visit that restaurant personally, no. Do you think this could become a trend among other restaurants? So I'm nervous. I think it might be. And I, and I say that because if they have success with this experiment, I guess we could call it, Mm -hmm. then I could definitely, definitely see other restaurants, especially private ones that are not big chains, following suit in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, it can be scary. I thought uh, many years ago when they, I don't even remember which airline was the first, but when they imposed the fee for baggage, I thought it was absurd Mm -hmm. in that Mm-hmm. That wasn't going to last. No one else was ever going to do this. And um, if so, it would be the end of air travel for all forever. And yeah, boy, was I wrong. <laughs> like I'm the first one swiping my card for all these baggage fees. <laughs> like, and so, you know, um, it could be anything's possible. I really hope not, though. Um, I mean, I do wonder, how do they how do they enforce this surcharge? Because if your kid becomes dis, first of all, do they have a list of what's disruptive, right? Like how, who's determining this? And then how do you enforce the payment of the surcharge? And then do you get to so stay as ha- long as you paid the surcharge or do you have to pay and go? I mean, I, I need details. So I do have some background. I did research it. And so it appears that if the patrons of the restaurant begin to complain and if the owner or whoever's there in the owner's uh, absence notices that your children or the children are being unruly, unsupervised, then they will just add it to your bill when you go to pay for the bill. That's how it works. And people were, there are comments they've had, I think on Yelp, there are comments saying, I got charged $50 fee for um, bad parenting and it was absurd to them. And it happened multiple, multiple times. And that's why it went viral because people were complaining about it because they were actually enforcing it in kind of like a gotcha way like surprise but yeah oh that's even Mm -hmm. worse than the name of the fee oh my goodness gracious (laughs) okay well playing devil's advocate a little bit what justification do you think that the owner might have for imposing this surcharge so i think that if you want 
a certain type of clientele in your restaurant and a certain type of um, environment to be maintained in your restaurant, I can see why you would impose a surcharge as a warning, but I don't necessarily agree with the way they're enforcing it. Yeah. Maybe just say, I don't, can you even say no children allowed? I don't, I don't know if you can do that at a restaurant, <laughs> but I suppose if you can say, um, gotcha with a $50 fine, cause your kid was disruptive, you could say you can't bring kids. I don't know. Hmm. Well, let's Possible. see. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see if this, um, if this, that catches on. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I truly hope not. Um, we'll, circle right. back. <laughs> <laughs> we'll circle back. All right. So on the newest season of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, Garcelle Bouvier, Bouvier, how do you pronounce her last name? I think it's Bouvier. Bouvier. Garcelle Bouvier allowed cameras to film her son being harshly critical of her parenting. He told her the time for her to be a parent to him was two years prior, and now he's able to take care of himself and doesn't need her to parent anymore. Many people were shocked that she allowed cameras to capture such a personal and painful moment. What's your reaction to her son's comment, Natasha? You have a teenage son. Close to teenage, right? He's 15. Yeah, okay. It broke my heart. It broke my heart. And I had to take a step back because I could feel, you and I were born in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And so we would never, ever let those words come out of our mouths to our mothers. Never. And so, I mean, we wouldn't be alive. If we, right. <laughs> if we commented on their parenting and said, I don't need you. So it broke my heart because she's a black woman and I had never seen a black woman spoken to in that manner by her child before. I didn't even know you could say those things to a black mother. And so it made me just hurt and ache for her because you could see the pain on her face. You could see how she wanted to be a good mother in spite of her best efforts. And I can, I think you can see a moment where she realizes cameras are there and she didn't know her son was going to say what he said. It was very shocking and very heartbreaking to say the least. Why do you think she decided to share that moment with us? You know, I wrestled with the fact that she shared it at all, but I did, it occurred to me that millennial parents Um, maybe having the same conversation in some way, shape or form with their teenagers. Mm. Um, And I thought maybe that's why she shared it to show that if you're a parent, no matter what your race is, and you're having this conversation with your teenager, you're not alone and it's okay. You didn't do anything wrong and you don't have to hold, carry this, um, by yourself, that her having all her success as a model, as an actress, um, struggles with the same thing that they do as well. It, it very much humanized her um, in a very real way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe it was what we were talking about earlier with Jada and how um, sometimes mm-hmm. sharing and, and allowing basically the world into your life mm-hmm. and some of those less than glamorous moments can be very humanizing and um, 
encouraging, uplifting, inspirational to other people. And I think this is a, a nice example of that. Quite mm-hmm. possibly. I agree. So mm-hmm. um, do you think that teens in America feel more emboldened in general to speak their minds, even if their words can be perceived as disrespectful or hurtful? I think so. I think anyone who has a parent who's a teenager, or a child who's a teenager can attest to they're saying things that we didn't say growing up to their to our parents. They're speaking up more when we're laying down the law or disciplining them, trying to create boundaries. And they, you know, they're teenagers. They want to push the boundaries, they want to break the rules and see how far they can get. And I always have been aware that children don't play fair. They will use whatever they can, their disposals to get what they want, especially if that discipline. Um, and that foundation isn't laid in the very beginning when they're little. They will think that they can just say whatever they want and get away with whatever they want. So I do think so. I do think it's become something that at least people in our generation didn't expect to have to deal with, but have to deal with and find a way to parent in spite of it. Yeah, I think it's it's probably going to continue because I remember... You know, in the 90s, my parents saying, wow, kids today would never uh, or I'm sorry, back in my day, we would never say the things that kids today say. Right. And now here we are 20, 30 years down the road and we're we're saying the same thing like we've become our parents. (laughs) It's official. To some extent. (laughs) Yes, I agree. And I get them. I get it. All right. So we've got a couple more things to touch on before the end of the show. Uh, One of them is the rapper Offset. So Offset recently made headlines when he commented on the state of hip hop today by saying that hip hop's numbers are down because everything is the same. Offset goes on to say that it's not real entertainment anymore and it isn't right to charge someone $200 a ticket and just stand there on the stage with a mic. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. All right. Does Offset have a point in his reflection of the current state of hip hop? So I thought a lot about this and it was interesting researching what's considered hip hop today compared to what we considered it back back in the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's very different. Um, and it does sound the same, um, which is as someone who grew up in music and studied music in college and loves music, I love that library in KTOO that has all that music, all that vinyl. I, I love it because it's like, it's history, right? And you see the progression of um, the musical genres through time. And it's just, to me, that's a wonderful playground to be in. And so to see, it kind of feels like hip hop is stunted at this mm. point because there are so many artists they call them mumbling artists or mumbling hip-hop because you can't understand what they're saying and they all sound the same and there's no innovation there's nothing new to the genre back when we were growing up listening to hip-hop mary j blige and salt and peppa all of yes. them they brought something new and it's not new anymore it's the same and um I don't know. I, I agree with him. Yeah, I agree too. And and back then, the music told a story. 
And the music videos told a story. It was almost like watching a mini movie. Um, And now today you watch these music videos and you're like, what? I don't even understand the concept. Like, I don't know, like what's happening doesn't match the music. But also, I don't know what the music is saying because I like they're mumbling. Like you said, like what's happening? Um, It's kind of it's kind of disappointing. Um, So, yeah, I think I agree with Offset. Um, Do you think that it could also be that maybe we are just not evolving with the times? I don't want to say that. I don't want to say that we're not evolving. (laughs) But maybe, maybe we're not. Maybe this is where it's trending and we're just stuck on what we love. Um, It could, it's definitely a possibility. (laughs) The jury's out for me. Okay. All right. Um, Well, the last topic here on Hot Topics is um, chemical hair straighteners. So, Uh, Recently, the negative effects of chemical hair straighteners have made headlines, and there's even a class action lawsuit against the makers of these widely used products. Thousands of Black women are suing these companies, and what they're saying is that the chemicals used in these hair products cause them to be diagnosed with cancer, and as a result, their lives are permanently and irrevocably harmed. So... um, If you're not familiar with this process, and we talked about it in one of our episodes on black hair, uh, black hair and black hair care, but um, these straighteners are called relaxers. And you take a powder and you mix the powder with a cream and then you apply it to the roots or the new growth of your hair. And it straightens it. And if you do this, um, most women who relax their hair, they have to do it regularly. So, I mean, to keep it straight, right? Because you relax all of it the first time and it gets really straight. And then to keep up with it, you have to just apply it to the the roots. So it's going on your scalp and it's going Mm -hmm. on the roots of your hair. Mm -hmm. So, um, Tasha, what's been your experience using relaxers to straighten your hair? So. I'll tell a very quick story. My experiences, I used it from about nine years old till about 32. And then I watched that movie by Chris Rock called Good Hair. And Mm. I shaved my head. I shaved all my hair off and I was bald and I wanted all all new growth, Um, growth that hadn't been chemically altered in any kind of way. And the memory that stands out for me is my son was four at the time, Moses, he was four and he watched me do it. And he was like, mom, what are you doing? And I said, I'm shaving my head. Um, I'm going to have all new growth. And I said, is mommy still beautiful, even though she's bald? And he said, yes, mom, you're always beautiful, even if you're bald. And so I haven't put any chemicals to straighten my hair since then. It's been over a decade and I just I stopped using it. Yeah. Um, same for me. I used them from probably around the same time. I mean, we grew up together. I I had my hair yeah. relaxed very early on. First, it was the hot comb. And then yes. um, <laughs> after they got tired of burning me with the hot comb, they burned me with the <laughs> chemical relaxer. It's true. Yes. And then I just continued that on until, you know, I don't maybe about eight, eight or nine, maybe about eight years ago. Um, and I, I didn't see that documentary, but I just decided that I wanted my hair to be natural. And so I stopped relaxing it. And so now it's, um, 100% natural. 
Um, yeah, it reminds me of the movie Who Cloned Tyrone. Um, and in that movie, <laughs> they were talking about like all these conspiracies. Um, but I told my friend, I think it's art imitating life because, you know, mm-hmm. all these people were being cl- go watch the movie. If you haven't seen Who Cloned Tyrone, you had to go watch it. Um, but in it's the movie, good. they also talked about um, like there being things in the relaxers that women were putting on their hair. And then lo and behold, you know, years later, we have this lawsuit. So. Um, what do you think will be the outcome of the lawsuit? The women are asking at the very least that um, there's a warning on the the packaging for these um, for these products. Do you think that they'll get it? You think that it's a fair request? I do. Yeah, I do. There are two congresswomen. I forget their names. Uh, it's just my mind. But I was reading last night. There are two congresswomen who have taken up with the FDA, and the FDA has made moves to uh, make a change so that it's not harmful anymore. All right. Well, we are coming up on the end of today's show. Um, We're going to switch gears a little bit and announce our third book in our Banned Books by Black Authors Book Club. The book we're reading next is Monday's Not Coming, and it's written by Tiffany D. Jackson. So we are excited about it. We hope that you will read it and be part of the conversation and follow along with us when we discuss it. Um, let's talk about today in Black history, because last week we didn't get a chance to, and it's a really important one. So it's not for today's date, um, but it's for October 26th, and it's about the queen of gospel music and someone who's considered one of the greatest musical figures in American history, Mahalia Jackson. So Mahalia Jackson was born on October 26, 1911 in New Orleans, Louisiana. She began singing at four years old and never looked back. Mahalia achieved her first major success with the song Move On Up a Little Higher, which sold millions of copies and became the highest selling gospel single single in history. From Carnegie Hall to uh, the Ed Sullivan Show to John F. Kennedy's presidential inauguration, Mahalia's musical performances knew no bounds. In 1963, at the personal request of her friend, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., she performed I've Been Buked and I've Been Scorned at the March on Washington, and then again at Dr. King's funeral in 1968. So we are deeply appreciative to Mahalia Jackson for her deep spirituality and her lasting inspiration on listeners of all faith. Well, that is the end of our episode today, Natasha. I thank you again for being here with me, having these conversations. Absolutely. And to our listeners, we appreciate you for listening and we look forward to hearing any feedback that you may have. Today's show was produced by my guest, Natasha Boozer. Until next week, may your life be blessed and flow with ease. I'm Christina Michelle, and this is Culture Rich Conversations. Culture Rich Conversations is underwritten by Mark Stofa and Sarah Hannon, celebrating Juno's diversity of culture, language, and heritage.